Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast. Dustin, how are you, brother? I'm doing great, Shad. How are you? I'm doing good. Best time of year in Utah right now. You got the Jazz playing. You got the World Series happening. You got college football in full swing, high school playoffs, and it's just uh, and a beautiful yeah. weather to boot. So it's a great, yeah. great time of year. But I agree. Well, hey, for, for our podcast this week, I wanted to read a quote from Pat Riley and talk about something that he refers to as the disease of me. And here's his quote. The most difficult thing for individuals to do when they become part of a team is to sacrifice. It is much easier to be selfish. I think that's a, a pretty profound quote. And he goes on to give these, these six kind of statements to help us each analyze ourselves and see if we have any disease of me in us. And so I would love to talk about these six diagnostic statements here that he gives. How does that sound? Yeah, let's do it. So here's the first one. The first one is chronic feelings of underappreciation. That is number one. So do you chronically feel underappreciated? Do you have any thoughts on that one? I think more so now, just the attention that kids get uh, on social media after games, you know, that, that you feel underappreciated if you don't, um, you know, have your school or your team or, you know, your coach or whomever recognizing you or if you're at a college and you're not being highlighted as much, you know, I think that's one of the things, you know, name image likeness, you know, yeah. rules now in the NCAA and kids being able to be paid is going to be, you know, and I know that's, I've talked with college coaches that this is one of the things that they're afraid of is there's going to be the, this feeling of under, uh, you know, appreciation that why is the quarterback being given money when I'm not, I'm the offensive lineman that blocks for him. If I don't block, he doesn't throw that touchdown pass. And, and, you know, it, there's truth to that, but that can, that can cause a real wedge in a, you know, in a team. If, if, if you're the athlete on the basketball team and you're not, you don't feel like you're being highlighted enough in the, in the program or on the poster or it, you know, in the offense, you're a better shooter than, than you're not getting enough plays called for you. You're not appreciated. You don't feel like your work that you've put in is appreciated. And that turns very much to, okay, well then when I do get the ball, I got to get mine, you know, and, and now you, you have a selfish, uh, you know, a bunch of selfish guys out there playing and, what he talks about, that disease spreads. And if you get multiple guys on a team playing that way, then that really is. It, it is a disease uh, that ruins teams, the disease of me. And that feeling of being underappreciated, that chronic, he says the chronic feeling, that it's a chronic feeling constantly of they don't appreciate how hard I work. They don't appreciate. So then well, I'm not going to work as hard or um, I'm just going to take care of me. I'm going to worry about me. And either of those answers to I'll show you either I'm not going to go as hard anymore because you don't appreciate me or I'm just going to get mine and worry about me. 
those are both just cancers to a team. I totally agree. I'm trying to think of, I see the name image likeness stuff. And, and of course, when you get up into the professional ranks, you know, guys are thinking, man, I need to get mine so I could get paid. When it gets down into the younger kids, I think sometimes this manifests itself as the kid who's constantly pouting, constantly feeling like they aren't playing enough, or they get a role on a team and they don't like the role that they've been given. I love that word you highlighted already, but the chronic. I think it's natural to feel sometimes like, hmm, I, I don't feel like I was appreciated as much as I, as I could have been, right? But yeah. this chronic, every practice, every game, and they're coming home with parents and they're talking about, my coach doesn't even recognize how good I am. My, my coach just never gives me the opportunities I deserve. And, you know, if those things are being said, that might be a time for parents to talk to their their kid about the principle of selfishness and uh, that disease of me. So that's awesome. That That's number one. Okay. Hi, let's move to number two. Paranoia over being cheated out of one's rightful share. There's probably some things relating to, to number one, but someone who's constantly paranoid that they're being cheated out of their rightful share. How do you think that looks with a, with a high school college athlete? Well, I think you're right. It there are some similarities to the to the underappreciation there, but again, the paranoia, the fear that I'm not going to get, you know, my fair share of of the of the success. You know, whether that's just being simply being appreciated, playing time, or whether that's love online, whether it's you know social media posts or or whatever. The the paranoia, the fear that it doesn't matter how much I work, I'm never going to be recognized. And I'm never going to get my fair share of the of the praise. You know, that leads kids to, I think, just to maybe turn to kind of an apathetic attitude. If you're really, truly paranoid, I think that's the first warning sign that you're going to have some apathy start creeping in because you're going to have a kid that just says, forget it. I don't care. I'm not going to get what I deserve anyway. It's never fair. I don't get as much as he gets, whether that's playing time or points or just like we talked about in the, in the last print, just, just public appreciation, you know, and, and recognition and, and appreciation are different things too, right? So you can be recognized, but if somebody doesn't really feel truly appreciated, again, that's a warning sign that selfishness and apathy next up on their, uh, you know, their, their feelings towards their team. Yeah, I think of something Doug Meacham said, high school basketball coach, former college basketball player he was on a podcast earlier in this year and he talked about how coaches do play their favorite players but the way they determine their favorite players is those who are going to help them win you know and uh and i hear these things sometimes creep in when when some kids are playing more than other kids you start to hear these excuses about dads having money and contributing it to the team and, and you know, just coaches pet type stuff. And if you're viewing that and you're constantly thinking, well, it's because of this, it's because of this. It, and, and you're thinking that it's always because of something else. It, it can't possibly be because someone's better than you and that's why they're playing or whatever. Then that's probably a sign that that paranoia is creeping in and you're going to start getting that disease of me, which leads to bad outcomes. So yeah, I agree. Uh, 
Okay, number three, this is one that really I have some strong feelings about, but I'd love to hear yours first. The, the leadership vacuum resulting from the formation of cliques and rivalries within a team. Yeah, leadership on a team, it's interesting because you have the manufactured leaders. And what I mean by that are the ones that are you call to be leaders, a coach maybe calls some kids to be the leaders. He picks them. He forms the council or his captains, right? And they become the three or four captains of the team. Then as the season goes, sometimes, you know, there's a, a more of an organic leadership that can get formed. Usually it does get formed. And that's not always the called captain that ends up being the leader. You, you hope it is. And most coaches, I think, or picking the kid to be the captain that they feel like is going to be the best at, at leading, of course. But sometimes you end up getting other guys who have some leadership qualities about them. And and if not managed properly, if the focus is, hey, I'm the captain, it's about me. I need to be the one that has the last say at practice. I'm the one who makes the decisions. But the rest of the team, maybe there's another athlete on the team that maybe has the ear of some of the guys. And you start getting you know, too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, and everybody having an idea on what the ingredients to the, you know, to the meal should be, you start getting separate camps formed. And anybody who's been on a team knows that if you've got two or three different cliques forming, where, you know, you, you've got the group of kids that, that don't feel maybe, and, and that could form on maybe these first two principles that you, you, you could have your first click be the group of kids who feel underappreciated. And then you got a group of kids, you know, who feel like they're just better than everybody else. And then you've got the seniors that are, I have more experience. So I don't want to hear from a sophomore. You don't, you haven't earned the right to say anything yet or to have a leadership position, even though that sophomore may be a very good leader. You have the seniors on every team who it's a seniority thing. Um, I deserve to have a voice simply because I'm older. I've been here longer. And so you got that group of, of kids on a team and, and they're the ones who are sometimes picking on the younger kids and trying to make, uh, make sure they know their place. And so you get, when you get these different teams, these different groups formed, if you don't have uh, a captain or two or a coach, but really ultimately it, it's got to come from the players. Cause even when the coach sees these things going on, a lot of these things are forming not on the field. They're forming in the hallways and classrooms out on the weekends when they're hanging out. It's not always something that, you know, the, 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 the baking of the cake that this, this, this bad cake that's forming is happening sometimes when the coach isn't watching it and seeing it. And, he, and so it, it's gotta, you gotta have kids on the team that see that, you know, that, that what's being formed isn't right. And that, have some training and hopefully some leadership uh, qualities about them to address it. Otherwise those clicks can be big time trouble. Yeah. I was going to say, I see just like you, a great relationship between principle three leadership vacuum resulting from formation of clicks and rivalries. And those first two, you know, when kids start feeling underappreciated or feel cheated, those, those kids find one another really easily, you know, and then yeah. they start getting together on a Saturday after a Friday night football game or on a Wednesday after a volleyball game or whatever it might be. And they start talking about the coach and how the coach favors this kid. And, 
And then it's almost like they create this secret pact and, and you have rivalries within the team. And if you ever want a formula for how to have a, a team achieve less than it could have, whenever I have seen that happen on a team where you have rivalry within a team, where you there are some that get so caught up in this, they find joy in seeing a teammate fail. Yeah. Because what it's doing is it's validating this position. See, I am underappreciated. See, I am being cheated out of this. And then you have three or four other friends there that you're like looking at on the bench going, see, just like what we were talking about. And now all of a sudden, there's two competitions going on. <laughs> you know, it's hard enough to beat the opponent. But when you're sitting there trying to beat half your team and the opponent, it's just not going to happen. And, and not only that, but it takes the joy out of out of being a teammate and working with people that you love for a goal and so if there's cliques and rivalries people getting together and talking about other people on the team at those informal moments you're talking about Dustin a true leader would say hey stop it man we aren't going to have this conversation if there's something we need to talk about let's talk about it as a team we aren't going to do it here you know, those, those things are critical if a team wants to be successful. And of course, all these, you can see how these translate into business, into family, into everything else is almost everything we talk about does. So, well, and, and there's, there's, I, I mentioned it uh, earlier and I, it might be a discussion for another day too, but the, I just want to reiterate it, uh, especially to parents and, and coaches that there is a big difference in my opinion on being recognized and being appreciated right when when i recognize something you did i'm recognizing what you did but not necessarily who you are right i i appreciate who you are i recognize what you do so it's one thing for me to to recognize the best player on the team or to recognize you know the touchdown pass or the the 25 points in the basketball game or whatever and recognize it and make sure that everybody knows how well, you know, somebody played and, and, and not that that's not going to be, you know, that the person isn't going to be grateful for that recognition. But when I appreciate who you are, I appreciate the work you put in. I appreciate the attitude you took after, uh, you know, you had that success. I appreciate your work ethic and your, your humility and, and who you are as a person, the way I talk to you and I, I'm appreciating you versus when I'm recognizing you is different. When I can put my hands on the, as a coach, if a coach can put his hands on the shoulder of a player or a, biz, a, a boss of a, you know, a, a manager or leader in a business can do it to an employee um, or a, a mom or dad to their child, right? When I can, we put our hands on their shoulders and say, hey, I, you need to know how appreciated you are here how much we appreciate all you bring to the business or all you bring to the family or all you bring to the team. We see all the things you're doing, even though it's not always recognized. I appreciate the effort you put behind the scenes. And when the, when the lights aren't on, on the court or the field, that's what I appreciate the most about you. That's a deeper sort of feeling, I think, for the recipient than the constantly being recognized, not that you don't want to be recognized and everybody enjoys being recognized. That's a human, you know, a characteristic that we all probably share is that of course it feels good to be recognized, but I think it feels better to be appreciated. And so 
you know, showing appreciation to teammates and making it sincere, there's something that should be appreciated in everybody on the team. And if, if the best teams know that, hey, I'm not, my job is not to get all the points. Coach appreciates what I do in the paint rebounding or what I do at practice, making the starter a better player because that's my role. And if you can get them to understand their role and then know that they're appreciated for that, you have a chance to have a, you know, a team that's truly a team. But if you get caught up in the constant recognizing game, I think that can sometimes become hollow and, and lead to some real selfish uh, thoughts from people. Yeah. As I go through these and have studied these, I, I feel like there's so much interrelated with all of them, including this <laughs> next one. So here's the next one. Number four is feelings of frustration, even when the team performs successfully. Yeah, that's that's a big one. And that that's one that I don't think <clears throat> there is a team in any sport in the world that doesn't deal with some element of that. Not to the point where it becomes necessarily a a disease. You hope you can squash it before it grows into that, but and I and in fact I'd even argue that everybody that's ever played sports has probably, you know, felt that way a little bit, but it's, it's very difficult if you're not playing or if you're not feeling part of the success to truly, really be happy with everybody else's success if you're a competitor because you want to compete and you want to be part of it. Now, I think that's the greatest, if, if not the, it's one of the greatest lessons that sports can hopefully teach everybody is that the true meaning of a team is that it's done together and that everybody has a role in it and and that, that gets back to what I said earlier about making sure that maybe that player that's not out there getting, you know, really part of the game on the field uh, is still appreciated for their role on the team. Because anybody who's had a successful team in any sport knows that those those backup players are very, very important. And if you don't have good backup players, even just to, to push somebody at practice or to support you know, come or when they when their number is called to be able to go in and be ready to go and and to fill the gap while a player is out for a, a series or two. If you don't have those guys, you're probably not going to go very far as a team. But having the conversations with our kids about understanding they're not always going to be the highlighted player, but they should still be able to feel part of the success of the team. You know, it, it's it's difficult, and not everybody's going to agree with mom or dad when they try to teach their son or daughter to still feel part of the team. But as, as leaders on the team and as, and the coaches on the team, that's a major part of building one is you have to make sure that those other players still feel a part of it. Yeah. And that man, I, Doug Meacham must be great at this because he keeps coming to mind his podcast, but he talked about how coaches can aid in helping those who may not have as visible of a role on the team, it's really important for a coach to take time to appreciate the role that they do play and the contribution that they do make and not just settle for the most visible contribution. I, I think of number four, this feelings of frustration, even when the team performs successfully, you know, if you're sulking after victories, because you had a bad game or whatever you you have at least a portion of this disease of me you know that you're you're a little bit too worried about how you look and and how you perform and 
and uh, it's too much about you. And so, and and for parents, that is for a coach coming at it, having been been a coach, you know, for most of my adult life in some capacity, but especially in the team sport, that might be it's one of the most frustrating things as a coach is when you've you've put in all the time and effort that you and your staff have put in to preparing for a game and you go out and you play in the game and and you're able you know you win a hard fought game and you see the joy in all the players and i've had this happen in fact i had it i've had it somewhat recently and one player isn't happy because they didn't play and they're visibly upset moments after the game and it's one thing to be disappointed you didn't play. I get it. But we, you know, at least as parents, we need to be telling our, our kids, hey, when you come home, we can talk and maybe you're disappointed. But you got to you have to have some sort of enjoyment that your team won the game. And and even if you got to fake it, for heaven's sakes, what you can't do is be out there sulking when your team's trying to enjoy it. and They want to hug you and be excited with you, but you're just upset because you didn't get the ball enough. Or you didn't get, you know, as soon as you do that, there is not a better way to brand yourself as a self selfish player. And, in, in, you know, in my situation, if you played for me, a quicker way to get me to, you know, not want to play you than to not be happy for your teammates, you know, and rather than I would, I'd love that you're upset. And I want you to come to me the next day and say, coach, I am really frustrated that I'm not playing more. I'm happy we're winning because I'm, you know, I want us to be successful, but what do I have to do? I want that. Like, I don't want you to be okay with not playing. I just, you need to be able to have that, that, you know, be able to control yourself in such a way that you're not showing your dislike for your lack of playing time two minutes after the win when everybody's celebrating and happy or, or, you know, when you get asked about your team, that the first thing out of your mouth is negativity because you're not getting yours and you're not playing. You know, that's a very quick way to have a coach, you know, doubt doubt your real intent. Yeah. Well, and I think as a parent, this is something that's maybe the easiest to see of all of these so far and the easiest to correct. You know, a kid comes in after a game and plops down in the front seat of a car and is pouting when the team's just won. That's really easy to pull over to the side of the road and say, hey, <laughs> we need to talk because yeah. you should not be disappointed this much after a win. That shows that you care too much about yourself and not enough about your team. And I think that's, a, that's just an easy one to have a conversation about and a spot because it happens quite frequently. Yep. We're, we're, son, I'm, I'm, I understand why you're frustrated and I think you should take that frustration and figure out what you need to do to get better so that maybe you can play more. However, on those times you don't, or you don't, even if you did play and you just don't feel like you, you know, were featured enough in the, in the offense or you didn't get the ball enough or whatever it was, you didn't play the position you wanted to play that game or whatever your frustration is, you've got to, get over that and be happy at the end goal, the real number one goal of the, of the competition, which was to go out and you and your teammates, you know, play well enough to win, however that happens. And so, yeah, you, you, if otherwise to your point, you're way too focused on you and not enough on the team. And, and that disease of me is now starting to show up in your child. You got to address it. Yeah, for sure. 
Okay, let's go to number five. Personal effort is mustered solely to outshine one's teammate. And I love that word solely, Dustin, because I, I think that, of course, when you're in a position where you're competing for playing time or, or something like that, of course, you're trying to outshine your, your teammate when it's in those settings where you're trying to earn playing time in practice. But I love that this says personal effort mustered solely to outshine one's teammate. What thoughts do you have on that one? Yeah, that's the key word. There's probably something deeper in that. And, and, you know, Pat Riley, you know, longtime coach of the Lakers and of the Heat and the Knicks. And, uh, you know, he was, I think he was the general manager, the president of the Heat and the Knicks as well. But he's, you know, been around basketball forever, was a great, great college basketball player and an NBA player himself. I'm sure he dealt with players. Well, not sure. I'm positive that he dealt with players with massive egos. And, and he had to juggle that, you know, he did some things when he was with the Miami heat and Shaquille O'Neal was there and, and Dwayne Wade. And he, and he had some peace and some, uh, you know, whose team was it? Is it Shaquille's team? Is it Dwayne Wade's team? When he was with the Lakers, is it Magic Johnson? Is it Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Kareem had been around forever and Magic's a rookie. How do I keep these two together? And there's, you know, the, and then I've got, you know, these other veterans on the team that, so there's a lot of juggling, but when he talks about this disease of me in this particular principle, I think he's probably talking about some personal experience where he had guys on his team who primary focus was they wanted the team to be known as their team. And they wanted the cover of the media guides and the, the, you know, when the, when the Miami heat or the Lakers were talked about that it was magic's team or it was Kareem's team, or it was, Shacks and not Dwayne Wade and he had to juggle that deal with that and and he, now to his credit he did a really good job of that and I'm sure a lot of time and effort went into juggling and massaging that with those but if you get a team if you can't do that and you've got a team where the players on the team's primary focus is to be recognized as the guy and my motivation for trying hard is solely primarily focused on I want to have more attention than you have. And I want people to think I'm the best on the team and it's my team. Um, you get a couple of guys with that sort of attitude. You actually might have some good individual players, but it'll be like those teams we see all the time that have a bunch of really good individual players, but they just can't seem to win because you get to the end of games and those guys all, well, I got to be the guy. I got to have the ball. I've got to be the one making the decision. And there's not enough balls to go around in that moment. And you usually end up with those teams end up losing with a bunch of really good players on it. And you see that all the time where the most talent on the team is not always the team that wins. In fact, it, it's probably most of the time, not it's the team that plays together, you know, the very best. Yeah. And it manifests itself in games when you have guys that are trying to get theirs, you even have sometimes parents, with young kids yelling, you know, go get yours, go get yours, you know, and things like that, where yeah. it's, you start to feel this, this bleeds right into number six. So maybe let me read this because I feel like it's, they're very related. The resentment of the competence of another. So, so number five, it's personal effort mustered solely to outshine one's teammate. 
But number six is when we can't outshine a teammate, when we have one of these incredible teammates that just is so competent and so amazing, instead of us being glad that we're on their team and that we get to play with this person and have that amazing experience and have the success come to our team, we build resentment because a teammate is good. And so what thoughts do you have on that one, Dustin? Yeah, if you've reached if you've reached that point that you you alluded to it earlier, you start looking for ways to downplay that teammate. Yeah, you, know, you because again it validates you don't want to acknowledge their competence, you don't want to acknowledge their you know their skill level, and so you hope they fail so that you can justify yeah see they're not as good as they say or is not as good as everybody else says, and so. You know, that's that, that usually becomes the thought process. And again, if you've got team, if you've got teammates hoping for the failure of other teammates, either to validate their point that see he's not as good or to get more playing time themselves, they want the easy way rather than getting better than the other person. They just hope the other person learns how to not be as good, right, that they get worse. Um, it's a lot easier if they can just not do well for me to get my playing time that it's going to be for me to get bigger and faster and stronger. That's going to require a lot of effort. And, you know, that, that goes to his point about, you know, selfishness is, is easier than sacrificing. So, um, yeah, if you start running into a situation where your player or your child or for any athletes that listen to this podcast, if those are the sort of thoughts that are going through your head where you're starting to resent and, and, you know, be bothered by the competence of your teammate rather than what you said earlier, embracing it, right? Being thankful that you get to play with a teammate like that and acknowledging it. Like that's where we should just say, I mean, the people who played with, you know, with Michael Jordan, who are, you know, or who are, who have played with, you know, some of the greats over the years, you, I, I, I love the fact that Scotty Pippen, instead of fighting that he was always the number two, just acknowledge the fact that Michael Jordan's just different. He's just better, you know, and, and, and he went through that. If you, if you study that Chicago Bulls team, there were some times when Scotty Pippen thought that he was kind of being, in, he was in the shadow of Michael Jordan, but he finally just en- learned to embrace it. The, the, man, how lucky am I to play with this guy? And he's going to make me better. And once he embraced that and, and realized that I can be the, you know, the, uh, the number two on this team and be very, very successful at doing that. But man, how lucky am I to have this guy playing with me? He became and still is one of the all-time greatest players to ever play. Instead of saying, I need to get traded, get me out of here. I can't play with this guy. I need to go somewhere where I'm the highlighted guy. And when you, if you look at pro teams, many, many times you see that guy that leaves a good situation because he's upset at, the attention being given to another teammate, probably to the point of right. Resenting that the competence of the other, of the other player. And he goes somewhere else thinking the grass is going to be greener and you never hear from the guy again. And uh, you know, in high school sports and youth sports, it's, it's a little more difficult to do that. Although it's getting easier and easier at the high school level and and kids just transfer and look for the easier road. But um, in most cases, it's harder to do that. And so you either just have a miserable experience or as a parent, hopefully we can do something to help our child not feel that way and still get something positive out of their experience. Yeah. 
And I bet you were thinking of the same person I'm thinking of when you were saying your comment there, Eric Weddle and his approach was very unselfish approach, pro bowl safety. And he used to try to help all of his teammates get better, increase their competence because he wanted them to be as competent as they could possibly be and still beat them out. You know, and yeah. that was his, that was his approach that I'm going to help my teammates be as good as they could be because that will make our team better. But I still want to be, I still want to beat that person out. But if they beat me, who cares? They're more talented than me. Like he embraced competition to that level. He was a true competitor, an unselfish competitor. And I, I admired that so much in him when he was sharing some of those details with us. Yeah, he, he well, he knew that if they're better, then I'm going to have to be better or I'm not going to play. So I don't have a choice, right? And so that was, he was able to use that as fuel, you know, as an undersized NFL football player, Eric Weddle knew, I got to have every mental advantage I can have. And if I know that I just gave a competitor of mine a couple pointers that could help him be better, well, now some of my secrets are out. So I got to go work extra hard to get, you know, to sharpen my toolbox and to sharpen my skill set and to add to the toolbox so that I can go out and, you know, and beat this guy now. And in doing so, he continued to get better and better and better and last a long time in the league and, and be a, you know, and, and be able to play everywhere he went. And that's not how most people are. Most people would rather just see the opponent, whether that's a teammate or it's opponent, you know, literally that you're on the other team. It's better to, it's easier to just have them fail and, and therefore boot, you know, boost your, you know, your time to, to play up and, and, and quicken your opportunity rather than earning it. And yeah. So if you get a group of kids on a team that are dealing with any one of these six, especially if they become chronic or if they become a paranoid with it, you know, some of the, or solely it's their focus. Some of those words he uses on each one of these, um, it really is a disease that spreads in a team. Uh, I had it on one of my high school teams. The very best high school team I played on did not even come close to succeeding. The next year we did with much less talent. And the year before we had all sorts of guys that were just great, great players that went on to, you know, to play in college. And, but at the time, everybody thought they were the guy. And we just had so many cooks in the kitchen that nothing could get done and no one. And it was a very disappointing you know, a couple months playing together and, and friendships were affected by it. Just stuff that never should have happened that we all, we look back at now and, and everybody sort of realizes, but um, so yeah, the sooner that we can do a examination of our team and see, do we, are we suffering from any of these, you know, these uh, diseases and do something to fix it? You know, the, the much better chance you're going to have of having a real team and not just a bunch of individual players out there. Yeah, for sure. And, and like we say in every podcast, there's not one thing we've covered, I don't think, that doesn't translate into life. And this disease of me could make someone go through life feeling bitter, feeling taken advantage of, always feeling like everyone around them is their enemy. And it's just not a good way to, to live life. And so maybe to close up, Dustin, here's the questions. Ask yourself, do I have any of this disease of me in me? Do you have chronic feelings of feeling underappreciated? Are you constantly paranoid over being cheated out of one's rightful share? Do you create leadership vacuums because there's a formation of cliques and rivalries and you're playing a role in that? Do you feel frustrated 
even when the team performs successfully? Do you muster your personal effort solely to outshine your teammate or your coworker? And do you have resentment at the competence of other people? And so I think those are awesome questions to reflect on. And going back to that quote where we began, the most difficult things for individuals to do when they become part of a team is to sacrifice. It is much easier to be selfish. So it sounds from Pat Riley's point of view that it's easier to let these attitudes creep in, which must mean that it takes conscious effort to keep these attitudes out of our lives. And, and I think we'd be well to keep them out of our lives in every area of our life. So, so thanks, Dustin. Great thoughts, yeah. brother. No, thank you, Shad. You know that those are great questions to ask, to ask ourselves. So I, I appreciate you ending it with that. I think we can all benefit. This isn't just a youth sports or a high school sports um, conversation. This absolutely is in, in for adults and other areas of life something that we should do a examination of our own attitude and make sure we're not uh, suffering from one of these diseases so yeah man eyes up do the work awesome thank you everyone for joining us please subscribe please share share this with people who you'd be interested if you have an opportunity please give us a five-star rating and leave a review that really helps the word to get out about the podcast and so we appreciate you joining us today eyes up do the work this has been the sport life podcast from especially for athletes sponsored by coca-cola you can learn more about especially for athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org you can also learn more about the book the sport light by shad martin and dustin smith at especiallyforathletes.org book